Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. All right, please grab a seat. I want to welcome you to uh, Pop God. Hey, we need to give a big hand to our campus fans. Can we hear it for them at every campus? So grateful for you guys. This is kind of our uh, popular music series, and uh, today we have people joining us in New Brunswick, Nutley, Mountainside. We have people listening on the radio. We have people on church online. Would you welcome, wherever you are, welcome those guys. We're glad brothers and sisters all over New Jersey are with us. Um, we are looking at some of the popular songs right now on the radio, connecting it to the Bible, saying, hey, what does uh, actually um, the faith uh, questions right now in our culture that the culture is asking through some of the songs, how does that factor in in our reading of Scripture and understanding what God has for us? And that song you just heard is called Shut Up and Dance. Uh, it is by a band called Walk the Moon. They're an alt band out of L.A., and it's kind of a fun song. Takes me back to the 80s. The music video to me looked totally like the 80s, didn't it? I mean, break dancing, synthesizers. I love that kind of stuff. Anybody else love the 80s? Uh, big 80s? Yeah, yeah. It's why my hair looks like this. Okay. Uh, big hair, party, party music, and shut up and dance. This is the perfect summer song because the lead singer Nick uh, Patricka he wrote it when he was going through a creative dry spell. He was having a trouble writing music and, and, and making uh, uh, um, songs, and so he actually thought he was going to quit music. And so he was at this party with his girlfriend. He said, why is life so difficult? You know, why is my life so hard? And you know what his girlfriend said? Shut up and dance. And uh, he did. He went home. He wrote this song, which is all about kind of letting go of our frustration and cutting loose, celebrating, experiencing joy, even when we're in the midst of a dry spell or a hard time. And that's a, be- a deeply biblical concept. In fact, um, joy amidst suffering really is the main message of chapter 3 of Habakkuk. That's the Old Testament prophet. We've been studying for the last two weeks, and in a lot of ways, Shut Up and Dance is the perfect title for the last chapter, chapter 3, which opens with these words. Just watch this. It says, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shigianoth. Now, this is a weird word. It's a Hebrew word. It's kind of fun to say Shigianoth. Can we all say it together on three? Ready? One. Oh, okay. <laughs> You're like, I want to try it. Shigianoth. One, two, ready? One more time. One, two, three. Shigianoth. Yeah. You know why you're familiar with it? Some of you grew up in the 90s, and Will Smith did a mashup called Getting Shiggy With It. You remember that? Does anybody remember that? That's what you're thinking of there. Not really. When I, when I saw this word Shigianoth, I thought it was weird. I didn't know what it meant. So I looked it up, and the Amplified Bible defines it this way. Well, look what it says. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet set to wild, enthusiastic, and triumphal music. So Habakkuk 3 is a party anthem, okay? Habakkuk is this Old Testament prophet who's going to teach us what it means to worship God with this kind of wild, enthusiastic abandon, to say, shut up and dance, even when everything in our world is falling apart. So if you're here today and you're going through a, a painful time, you're going through a season of loss or of struggle, um, you know, a breakup or financial difficulty, you know what Habakkuk says? I'm going to show you how to worship your way through the dip with Shigianoff, with wild, enthusiastic worship that glorifies God even when life on earth is difficult and doesn't make sense. And Habakkuk really is the perfect prophet to teach us about this because if you remember, he lived around 600 BC. He really struggled with what he saw happening in the world around him. Israel at that time was full of violence, very, very corrupt, a lot of injustice at the time. 
And so Habakkuk looked at that, and he had hard questions for God. In chapter 1, he kind of got up in God's grill, and he asked him these four questions. Look what he says. He says, how long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, question mark, or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save, question mark. Why do you make me look at injustice, question mark? Why do you tolerate wrong, question mark? In other words, Habakkuk was watching the front page news of his day, and he looked at the violence, the injustice, the immorality, and it, it shook his faith. And we acknowledge that, you know what, you and I feel a similar thing, right, when we watch the news. We see riots and racial unrest, you know, it just comes, plays over and over in our inner cities. God, why do you make me look at injustice? The police, the law seem paralyzed, right? Many of our hearts right now are with the people in Charleston, South Carolina. What happens in a world, in a culture, in which people are gathered to study the Bible, to pray for others, to follow Jesus in love, and then somebody comes in, sits with them for an hour, opens the Bible, and then opens fire, killing eight of them in cold blood, including a pastor who leaves behind a wife and two little girls. We scream, violence, God, why would you let that happen? Why don't you save ISIS killing Christians, beheading believers in the Middle East. God, why do you tolerate wrong? That's what Habakkuk was asking. He was basically saying, where's God when life seems unfair? I don't understand, God, why a good God would allow bad things to happen to his people. And God answered, actually, Habakkuk, it's going to get worse. The Babylonians, a nation infinitely worse, infinitely more wicked and corrupt than yours, are going to come in and they're going to totally wipe out Israel, and that's how I'm going to draw you back to myself. And Habakkuk was like, God, you, that's got to be kidding. That's even worse. Lord, if you cared, why would you let that happen to people who love you? Ever have a question like that? Well, I guarantee you you did because thousands of you wrote them in. These, these are cards. We receive thousands of cards. This is just from one campus full of your questions for God, many of them very raw, many of them expressing confusion and, and disappointment over situations in everyday life. I mean, this is just a sampling. I'll just read a few of these uh, to you this week. Um, God, why do we struggle so much with our, our finances, paying bills, food, kids and school and activities when we trust and serve you? When will we stop struggling with money? God, why did you take our unborn child to be with you? Why would you when will you allow us to conceive and raise a happy, healthy one? God, why are you allowing our family to be split up? I'm a, I'm a single dad now. A lot of family heartache. People, children, sons and daughters who are kind of making destructive choices, and you're wondering, will God lead them back? Um, uh, this, was, this was one. Where is this? Oh, this is, uh, God, why does my sister have early onset dementia at age 49? She had a full life, loved Christ. Now she lives in a long-term care facility. She's lost all ability to speak and communicate. Her last words were, miracles happen. People in this church are going through uh, health deterioration, marriage disintegration, children who are wandering, careers that are ending. And this essentially is life in the dip, and this is what Habakkuk was going through. I'm going to draw for you a little diagram that you can probably draw by now if you've been here for the last few weeks. We said the spiritual life, the journey to follow Christ, actually looks like this. There's a lot of ups and downs. And I put this in your notes if you want to draw it. But uh, here's kind of where you start where you don't know Christ. This is where people are who basically are like, I don't really know if I believe Christianity. I think it's a religion that's about rules and regulations, right? It's like do's and don'ts and people who need like super judgmental moral boundaries. But then, you know, you meet someone at church who's not a total wackadoodle, and you're like, oh, okay. 
they follow Jesus and they're not awful. And then you're like, what's that music you're listening to? And they're like, oh, Star 99.1. And you start listening to it. And, you know, the music isn't totally bad. Sometimes it's bad, but not always bad. And, uh, and then, you know, you have a problem in your life or something. And they're like, well, let me pray for you. And you're like, pray? Oh, okay, that's awkward, but whatever. And they pray, and then, but God answers the prayer. You're like, holy smokes, maybe there is something to this, right? And then you start, like, reading stuff yourself. And you watch, you know, you watch Joel Osteen, and your faith goes back a little bit. And then, and then you go, <laughs> but eventually you come to this point, right, where you're like, maybe there's something to this. You came to our church, and you're like, I never understood anything in the Bible, but this is speaking directly to me. God is alive. He actually does answer prayers. I think I'm going to become one of them. I think I'm going to drink, what did we call it? The Jesus juice. And I just apologize. If it's your first time, we're not going to pass out Kool-Aid shots. This is just like our nickname when people are all like, you know, God is real. I, I, he has a personal experience. I've had an encounter with the living Christ. And it's not religion. It's this relationship. And this is a powerful moment when most people, they have the salvation experience. But you typically don't live there. What happens is reality crashes in. You come to church one day and you're like, that message didn't speak to me, not so much. And in fact, I don't really resonate with the music at all. Why are they playing Shut Up and Dance? It's just weird. Uh, the, girl, the girl who introduced you to Christ breaks up with you. <laughs> and someone who you're praying, you know, God heal, they don't get well, they get worse. And you have what's called a crisis of belief. What do you do in your life when what you see in the world around you no longer corresponds to what you believe? Most believers, either they want to go back to their mountaintop experience, pretend everything is, is great, and live in denial, or they just give up. They say, you know what? Those weren't God incidences. They were just coincidences. And I don't think God maybe is, can be trusted anymore because why would a good God let this thing happen? You are entering a, what we are calling, you guys remember what we call this, the... The dip, yeah, and we colored this kind of in red because we don't like it. It's when the heat gets turned up in our life. It's when our marriage, you know, get, hits the rocks or our kids go off the deep end or, you know, we get fired unexpectedly or worse, somebody gets promoted who's very unethical and we're like, what difference does it make following God? I'm starting to have my doubts. I thought, Jesus, you were good. I thought you were loving, but this doesn't feel very real right now. We enter the dip of doubt. And the sad thing is, this is where most Christians turn back. They stop praying because they say, well, what's the point of prayer? It doesn't seem to change anything. They stop going to church. They get cynical. Oh, it's just people in the Jesus juice. They stop reading their Bible because it doesn't sound like God's speaking. What's happening is, in chapter 1, we wrestle with God. We say, why would you allow this? And God says, I'm not going to answer you. You're going to have to what? Wait. And we hate it. Christians hate to wait. We are microwave believers who serve a God who gives crockpot answers at times. <laughs> and God says, I want you to watch, wait for it. I want you to be still and wait patiently. You can put that up slide, people. Wait for it is the phrase. That's where we give up, in chapter one or chapter two. But if you resist the temptation to give up or go back, what we're gonna see today is how God says, if you trust me through this and lean in, I will lead you to a deeper level of faith, a higher level of trust in my sovereignty that I'm in control and I'm working all things together for good and I'm going to lead you to a level three worship where you don't just worship me for what I give you but for who I am. I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. And even though happenings are up and down, see, happiness is based on happenings, which guess what? Up and down. But the character of Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. Joy depends on Jesus. Happiness depends on 
happenings. And this is a very, very important moment because God's inviting some of you out of the dip to a level three shigianoff, a defiant worship. And that's what Habakkuk's going to teach us today. How do you worship your way out of the wilderness? If you're in a dip or a desert season, if you're enduring a chronic illness that God just still hasn't touched, you're going through a painful breakup. You've been praying for a family member to get saved for years or a prodigal child to return home. You've been wrestling. You're waiting. Get ready to worship because Habakkuk's going to show, I want to teach you a shigianoff in chapter three. So let's look at the first, or I should say, we'll look actually at the last four verses of, of this last chapter of Habakkuk chapter three. Starts at verse 16. It's in your notes. It's also uh, on the screen. And here's what Habakkuk writes. Look at these words. Now just listen to this. There's emotion here. He says, I heard in my heart, let's, uh, let's read all the words out loud in pink. My heart what? Pounded. My lips what? Quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs what? trembled. What's happening here? <laughs> the guy's a little bit nervous, right? It's not just the coffee. You've been to an amusement park. What does this look like? A what? Roller coaster. What's the most terrifying part of the roller coaster? When you're going to the top of the hill, you know you're going to plunge the other side and you're bracing for impact. That's what Habakkuk's doing. He says, God, I know what is about to happen. You have promised that the Babylonians are going to come in and things are going to get worse. And so my heart is pounding. My lip is quivering. My legs are trembling. My knees are knocking because I'm about to go into the dip. When we head into this dip, it feels out of control. And yet, Habakkuk says, I will what? I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. See, Habakkuk knew that God made another promise that one day he would judge the Babylonians. That one day he would rise up and actually bring an end to wickedness. So we learned last week, right? God's delays are not necessarily God's denials. And true enough, God has promised one day to judge evil. He will destroy sin. He will conquer death completely. He will do this one day. But even when our timetable isn't his timetable, Habakkuk says, I'll wait for it. In the meantime, I'm going to shiggy enough. Here's, here's what Habakkuk decides in his heart. Look at this, verse 17. Read these words out loud. Ready? Even... If the fig trees have no blossoms, there's, there's no growth in my life. Even if there are no grapes on the vines, I see no fruit. Even if the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren. Even if the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will what? Say this together. Rejoice in the Lord. I'll be joyful in the God of my salvation. And this is a very bold expression of worship, of defiant level three worship and faith in the face of overwhelming failure. Habakkuk's world is falling apart. The culture is crumbling all around him. The economy is tanking. The wicked seem to be winning. And instead of going back or giving up, he says two words, even if, even if I don't see tangible evidence of God his blessing in my life, yet I will worship him anyway. Even if the flocks die, I'll praise the Lord. Notice he's describing here the season of drought, of famine, of, of crop failures. Remember, at this time, everybody is either a farmer or they're a shepherd. And Habakkuk basically lists here, if you look at your, your scripture, he lists every source of income, every source of security. He's like, there's no fruit, there's no wine, there's no olives, there's no crops, there's no cows. All the sheep are dead. My barn is empty. And even 
if things outwardly, I have no reason to praise God. There's nothing to eat. There's nothing to drink. There's nothing to wear. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God of my what? My salvation. I'm going to realize the only thing that can't be taken from me in this life is my salvation through Jesus Christ. Stripped of everything, Habakkuk boldly declares his faith even if there's no sensible or visible reason to praise God. Could you say that? Do you have an even if kind of faith? Even if my business goes bankrupt, yet I will worship the Lord who provides. Even if my marriage is falling apart, yet I will worship the Lord who is my rock and my salvation. Even if I'm struck with an illness and God hasn't healed, I'll worship him because I know he'll heal me if it's not in this life, in the life to come. I'll worship him, even if not. This, my friends, is a higher level of faith, of trust in God's goodness that you can't get to unless you go through hard times. And every single one of you who is very intimate with Christ, those who are closest through Christ, always go through this. I have told you how my family went through a major dip when my dad was diagnosed with cancer in his 50s. My dad was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, and doctors told us, they said, it's actually not curable. It's not the kind you cure. And we said, how long? They said, four months, four years. We don't know, but we're going to you know, try a treatment. We're going to try to get a remission, but it doesn't look promising. And we were shocked. My family was shocked. Our whole life had been up and to the right, kind of this beaver cleaver existence. We go to church. We sing the songs. We pray. God answers. And all of a sudden, it was like our legs were shaking. Our lips were quivering. It rocked our world. My dad was my number one spiritual influence. He was my number one role model, a best friend in my life. He was a righteous man, a man of high integrity. He loved the Lord, devoted dad, served the church. And then this happens. And as I told you, honestly, as a pastor, I had some of the same doubts that Habakkuk has here in chapter one. In my heart, I thought, God, you don't seem to care. If you did, you'd seen the pain this is causing not just my dad, but my mom and our whole family. Why don't you help? It was very hard for me to read all the healing accounts in the Bible. Jesus would reach out and just touch the man or just say the word and people were healed. And I was like, why not my dad? This is a season when it's very hard to even pray. It's hard to read the Bible. And actually, you ever feel that way? It's hard to do that. I felt that. And I suspected, maybe, God, you're not fair. Because if my dad is a godly man, a man of integrity, he's a righteous man, and, he, and he's devoted to our family, and this is what he gets? He doesn't deserve this. We had doubts. We had questions. We wrestled with God. And God said, I'm not going to actually heal him. I'm going to allow this to linger through here. And we learned that my dad's cancer wasn't something that you cure. It's something that you live with one day at a time, one scan at a time, one chemo drip at a time. And we began praying, God, we believe you can heal dad, but even if you don't, we're going to worship you anyway. Every time we went in for a scan, God, even if the blood work isn't positive, we're going to praise the name of Jesus anyway. Even if this is going to make dad feel worse before he feels better, we're going to worship the Lord because he's going to heal him in the life to come guaranteed. We're asking for a miracle now, but we'll worship you even if, even if, even if not. And God gave my dad a very a beautiful thing, a stable remission that enabled him to see his grandchildren born. That was one of our 
our precious prayers at the time. I didn't have kids when my dad was first diagnosed. And we prayed that my dad would live long enough to see his granddaughter and his grandson, Dell, who's named in his honor. It was really interesting because little by little, day by day, chemo by chemo, scan by scan, month after month, year after year, God actually carried our family to a deeper, higher level of faith and worship in who he is, not just what he does for us. And we were able to actually say at the, at the end of things, even if the flocks die in the fields, the cattle barns are empty, yet we will what? We'll rejoice in the Lord. I'll be joyful in the God of my salvation. And we came to know and love God, not just for what he does, but for who he is. This is how God weaned us off of the Jesus juice, because you can't stay a sippy cup Christian forever. We were able to say, even if the healing doesn't come, yet I'll be joyful in the God of my salvation. Guys, happiness is based on happenings, but joy is rooted in Jesus, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he became our strength, he became our salvation, even when the days were long and the waiting was hard and the news was negative. And God was faithful to carry us through that very difficult season of testing. That's what he did with Habakkuk. You're holding your hands to Shigianoth. And five years after Habakkuk wrote this, it happened. Israel was invaded by the Babylonians. In fact, it was the Babylonian armies of King Nebuchadnezzar who invaded Israel. They destroyed the cities. They looted Judah. And they did something quite horrible. They actually took many of the Hebrew children captive including a group of young teenage boys. They took them back to Babylon to actually serve as slaves. They would brainwash the the promising young men. And among those three kidnapped kids were three teenage boys who came to be known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Yeah, some of you know the story. It's told in the book of Daniel. And they demonstrated this kind of even-if-not level of faith that I think is a model for us. See, at one point, Nebuchadnezzar actually constructs an idol. It was 90 feet tall. It was like the size of the Statue of Liberty, imagine. And he called all the people to come and bow down and worship it. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were like, we're not going to actually worship your idol because we serve the God of the Bible. We serve Yahweh, right? And Nebuchadnezzar said these words in Daniel 3. He said, well, if you don't worship it, you're going to be thrown immediately into what? A blazing furnace, then what small g-god will be able to rescue you from my hand? In other words, you either go back and give up your faith or things are going to get hot. We're going to put you in a furnace. I'll draw my little things. You know I like to draw. It's just the way it is. There's my little fire, my little bonfire. I'm going to heat this thing up. And in fact, actually, the scripture says, Nebuchadnezzar heated the furnace seven times hotter and said, give up your faith, boys, or else you're done. You are well done, actually. But I think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego at this moment remembered this Shigianoth. The words that Habakkuk spoke here in chapter 3. Because when you read their defiant response in verse 17, I want you to read this together. Look at this. He says, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, king, the God we serve, he is able to deliver us. We know we can do that. We believe he will deliver us from your majesty's hands. In other words, we know we're about to go into this dip. We are going to go to a very hot time of testing. But we have faith. We know God can save us. We believe he'll deliver us. And I imagine they're standing on the edge, you know, like their knees are knocking. Their hands are shaking. Their lips are quivering. And they're looking at one another. Do we really want to go through with this? God, we believe we, we, you can save us. But look what they say. Watch this. 
But even, say it together, even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Even if not. I love this. This is a powerful, defiant, in-your-face kind of worship. These three teenage boys defy this powerful king. And they say, we may be on the edge of a very painful experience here. And understand, we know God has the capacity to deliver us. In fact, we believe in faith. He will. But even if not, we want you to know we will not bow down. We will worship the true God anyway because we'd rather be in the fire with Jesus than in a world without him. Amen? Even if not, even if I'm suffering, Jesus, I believe you can heal me. I know you will, but I'm going to worship you. Even if you don't in this life, I will rejoice in God my Savior. God, I am struggling with singleness. Right now, I want a partner. I prayed for a partner. And even if you don't provide one, you will never leave me. You will never forsake me. God, even if my family is drowning in debt and our house hasn't sold and it's very difficult and the job hasn't come, we're going to worship you because you're our provider and that never changes. And in that moment, those three teenage boys stare into that furnace, not knowing how it would turn out. All they know is the heat's about to be turned up. And they said, we know God can spare us, but we have to acknowledge the reality he might not. And we're going to say he's good anyway. And they raised their eyes and set it on the God's character, believing that even if not, we know him to be sovereign, in control, and he works all things together for the good of those who love him. Amen? Amen. See, if you're in this dip, guys, if you're in a season of pain or testing or waiting, worship is not a denial of your situation. It's defiance of your situation. It's looking past the pain and confusion to what Christ endured on the cross. We always look back to the cross. Jesus defiantly absorbed and faced suffering that goes beyond anything that we can imagine in this life. And it's like, that's the Christian journey. Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow me. They do not emphasize this in Sunday school. They do not emphasize this in VBS, okay? I remember singing in Sunday school, Jesus wants me for a sunbeam. You guys know that song? Does, anybody else, does anyone else go to that church? Jesus wants me. Who knows that song? Who knows that song? Would you sing it with me? Out loud. You sing it with me, ready? Jesus wants me for a sunbeam to shine for him each day. That's what we sang. That's what, you want to hear more? I'll inflict this on you. I will send you into the dip right now. This is what the Bible says followers of Christ should expect. James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Jesus wants me for a sunbeam joy. When you face trials, what? Trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops what? Perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work in you so that you may be what? Mature and complete, not lacking anything. This is God's will for your life, that you're mature and complete like Jesus. And if you will hang in and lean into him in the dip, your father makes a promise. He says, I'm not just going to make you happy. I'm going to make you holy. I'm going to make you mature and complete. We are not lacking anything and not, not just trembling when something happens, just like my son Jesus. And at first we resist, we get scared. But guys, this is the journey of Jesus. He is our ultimate Habakkuk. You know what the Bible says about Jesus? It says, Jesus, watch, 
who for the joy set before him, the joy, the mountaintop experience, endured the cross. And on the cross, we're told that Jesus went, had a crisis of belief. He actually had questions for God. He said, my God, my God, what? Why have you forsaken me? You know why? Because all of our sins were pinned upon the only innocent man to ever live. And he had to drink the cup, the cup of God's wrath. All the judgment due, our wicked and evil and sinful humanity, was poured out on Christ. He has to drink this cup. And how long was he in the dip? How long? Three days. What did the disciples do? They gave up and they went back. And too bad. Because three days later, what happened? They were bowing down in worship saying, my Lord and my God will die for you. Because we know that crucifixion precedes what? Resurrection. This is the truest truth of Christianity. The cross always precedes the crown. One day we'll rule and reign with him. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father. The first fruits, this is what's going to happen to you and me. We're going to rule and reign with Christ. But first, there is a season of suffering here. And when we go through this, it's not God abandoning you. He's actually saying, I'm making good of my promise. I'm doing diamond work in you. I'm doing the spiritual formation. I am molding you to be more like your Savior, my son, Jesus Christ. So set your eyes up here because Jesus is the author. He's the perfecter of your faith. In other words, he lived this story and he's writing yours. That's an amazing thing. I mean, I, I look back at the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and I'm like, where's God in, in that? These three boys stand up to the Babylonian king. You know what he does? He shoves them into the fire. But then something strange happens. This is like my favorite verse in the Old Testament. If you read the Old Testament, you'll just blow by this, but you underline this today. I put it in your notes. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, the wicked king, he looks in and here's what he says. He says, wait a minute, look. I see what? Four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like what? A son of the gods, small s, small g. And this is such a cool verse. Because Nebuchadnezzar looks at the flame and says, wait a minute, wait, one, two, three, four, what? I thought we threw three defiant, you know, worshipers of Yahweh into the fire. Who's this fourth guy in the flames? He looks like what? A son of the gods. Do you know who this is? This is a rare appearance of the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. Have you ever wondered, where's Jesus in the Old Testament? Before he takes on flesh as a man in the New Testament. Where's God's son? Here he is. Those three boys are thrown into the fire, and Jesus is there waiting for him, and he's waiting for you. The point is, all of us want to get out of the dip, but in the dip is where you meet Jesus. Amen? You're not alone in here. He's the fourth man in the flames. I'm preaching to somebody. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar, he tells, they say, pull those guys out. Look at this. It says, they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched. There was no smell of fire on them. And then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to the capital G God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. See, even pagans see you go through this and they give their lives to Christ. He has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him. They defied the king's commands. They were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any small G God except their own capital G God. Amen? That's an even if not kind of faith. A level three kind of worship that says, I know God can save me. I believe he'll rescue me, but I'll worship him even if he doesn't because he's good. Because he's loving. And Jesus is with me in the dip. Amen? Yeah, you can clap for that. I know you want to get excited about that. The dip is where you meet Christ. 
No matter how hot it gets in here, there is a fourth man in the flames. That's how God got our family through my dad's cancer journey. We met Christ most powerfully in the dip. Our family learned to worship God through the ups and through the downs, and there were a lot of them, let me tell you, okay, over the years. We prayed, we cried, we believed, we said, God, we know you have the power to heal my father, but even if not in this life, we trust you for the life to come. Jesus has him securely in the hand. And instead of five years, God actually extended his life incredibly by 15, long enough to see his grandchildren grow. This is a picture from last spring of my family with my dad before he went home to heaven days later. And the doctors were astonished. They're like, this is incredible. 15 years, that's like a miracle of medicine. And we're like, no. <laughs> that's a miracle of Jesus Christ. And because my father trusted in Christ as his Lord and Savior, he passed from this life to the next. My father on earth went home to be with his father in heaven where there's no more pain and no more sorrow, but joy in the presence of Jesus. And I miss him. I miss him so much. I miss my mom does, my kids do. But through that ordeal, you know what God did? He said, I want you to lift your eyes to the hope of heaven because that is your final destination. And he who began a good work in you will get you there to the day of salvation. See, the end of life on earth is just the beginning of life eternal. And because God, my dad had confidence that Jesus Christ died for his sins on the cross. He was a good man, but he was not a perfect man. We have confidence that we will see him again one day very soon. This is where my hope is, with my father and his father in heaven. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen? Can you say that? When you are going through this dip, when you lose someone or something very precious to you, a relationship, a dream, a job, when the heat gets turned up and things don't go, the way that you had planned. You have an even if not kind of faith. Even if my spouse said, I do until death do us part, and now he broke that vow. Even if I will worship the Lord who will never forsake me, I'll never be alone. Even if my kids were raised to love God and respect authority, and now they're making very destructive and scary choices. Even if I'm going to trust that God is their father and he will get them where they need to be. Even if. Can you say even if in the dip? Even if we're in debt and our house won't sell, God will provide. I can look back to the times that he did. Even if my daddy owns all the cattle on the hills, a thousand hills, and I trust him to provide. Even if. Even if I don't like it. Even if I don't understand it. Even if I know God could and I believe that he will. Even if not, I will worship Jesus Christ anyway because he saved me. He's been through the fire and he'll meet me in the flames. And if he survived this journey, so can I, because he said, I'll lead you safely home. I pray that every single one of you in this church will one day experience an even if not kind of faith in God. But here's the rub. You cannot have a level three type of worship until you've wrestled with a level one type of question and made to wait a level two type of waiting. Because the truth is, God will do more in this dip in your life than he does when you're on the mountaintop. And those who are closest to God have been through this. In fact, they've been through it multiple times. Here's the punchline to the whole series. Some of you are like, I can't wait to get out of this dip so I don't ever have to do it again. You know what the Christian journey looks like? It's up and to the right. <laughs> up and to the right. 
over and over and over again. Literally, it is kind, it's an amazing thing here, the way Habakkuk ends his verse, ends his shiginoth. You know what he says? The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to what? Tread on the heights. And the image that he closes with is a young deer ascending a mountain, going from rock to rock, sometimes falling down. There's going to be peaks and valleys, but he keeps taking me. The Lord is going to keep taking me to new levels over and over again, sure-footed across dangerous terrain, and I am not going to actually, uh, in spite of the dip, but rather through the dip, my faith is going to grow. That's why I'm singing, Habakkuk says, a shiggy enough. I'm singing a song of blessing, and it's going to be sung with a band, and he actually says, pull out the stringed instruments. He's telling his people, even if your business fails, and you're, you, get, you get that restored. Even if your marriage falls apart, but then all of a sudden God rescues it. Even if you're in a season of testing, I want you to shut up and dance and worship the Lord anyway. We'll sing even if not, and we're going to trust the Father, and we're going to worship his Son, because he says, I'm working all things together for your good and Jesus' glory. Amen? So here's my question for you. You guys, you guys filled out these cards, and you see your, your dip really well. But do you see... Jesus in your dip because he's been there and he is there and he will meet you there. We have something Habakkuk doesn't have. We live on this side of the cross. We understand what Christ went through to earn our eternal salvation. And so we have a much greater reason for worship. And Habakkuk says one of the ways what you do in the dip is you worship your way out. And we're going to give you the chance to do that to close this series. We're going to have our band come out and they're going to lead us in a shigianoth. This is an old school song called Blessed Be Your Name, which is about worshiping God when you're in the dip. Not just when you're blessed, but when we're broken. And here's the deal. I don't want anyone to leave this room, okay? I understand some of you, you kind of like the last song comes on, you're like, I'm going to go get my coffee, hope no one sees me. I see you. <laughs> I get, I'm not, no, no, no guilt, no guilt. I just want, I want you to be here for this. You know why? Here's why I want you to stay for this. Because singing this song out loud, the dip, may be the single most important thing you do today. It is a shiggy enough. It's a declaration of defiant faith. When you are going through the dip, your soul, Habakkuk says, needs to give voice. To be able to actually say, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, but what? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen? So if you're in the dip today, you sing loud with your biggest, baddest voice. You lift the name of Jesus. You say, he's my savior. He's my strength. He's my salvation. Bless his name. Let's bow our heads. Father God, thank you right now for speaking so personally to us through your word. It's your word, God. We thank you for Habakkuk, who is a picture of Jesus. Jesus, we thank you that you are our strength and our salvation. And you have promised, Lord, those who trust you, you will lead them safely home. Father, I pray right now for every man and woman who's going through a dip. Open their lips. God, to praise your name. God, I pray you'd open their eyes to see Jesus in the flames right now waiting for them. Would you protect them by the blood of Jesus? Fill them with the Holy Spirit. Begin stirring in their soul that's even if not kind of courage in their heart. God, let them know palpably that you are with them, you are for them, and you are good. You can be trusted even in this. And all God's people said together, amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.